if you're interested in doing that. We're looking for desserts that are like, like cookies or brownies, something that's handheld um, that we can easily pass out to them. Um, so if that is something that uh, the Lord uh, is touching your heart for, whether it's baking or serving or having conversations, you can mark that. That is coming up, um, I believe. Let me double check. Yes. September 9th. Sorry, guys. September 9th, but uh, you can mark your calendar, uh, mark your Connect card today for that. Um, second, Kingdom Basics is back. Um, Kingdom Basics uh, is a teaching series that we do uh, with Pastor Charles on Sunday evenings. Um, and we take a specific topic and dive a little deeper into that topic on Sunday evenings. It's more of a teaching series than a preaching series. Um, it's informal, casual, uh, there's question and answer, but September's focus is going to be prophecy, which is just hearing God for other people. Um, that is September 11th and 18th at 6 o'clock right here in the worship center Sunday evenings. Child care is available, so that's not something that needs to stop you from participating. Um, and like I said, it's just learning, uh, looking at scripture, looking at the Bible and what the Bible has to say about what prophecy is, how it works, and how the Lord invites us to engage with that as his church today. So hope to see you for that. And then lastly, we have a closed closet coming up. Some of you um, have been uh, privileged enough to be able to serve over at Cooper Park on the south side of Statesville during our Love Fest, where we serve lunch and do games and all of that with the community out there. We do that in the summertime, but this fall, we are going to be hosting a clothes closet, a coat closet, more specifically. Um, those of you that came out to Love Fest saw how incredibly blessed the people in that community were when we brought our clothing donations out, our clothes closet. But because the uh, winter is coming and the weather is changing and we want to bless them with coats to be able to stay warm, um, so we would like to encourage all of us as a body to either uh, buy or go through your closets and find very gently worn, clean coats, um, or hit one of the sales at the stores right now on um, all the fall and winter coats that are coming on sale, and donate those uh, for the next two Sundays, September 11th and uh, the 25th. Really, we'll be collecting them through the 11th and the 25th here at the church. There'll be um, uh, bins, receptacles out in the lobby for you to put those coats all sizes, men's, women's, kids, adults. Um, the only thing we ask is that if you are going to donate a gently used coat, that it really is clean, that it's ready to go, it's ready to be handed to somebody to use right then and there. Um, and if you have any questions, you can certainly call the office. We'll be handing those out October 1st, but the donation collection, like I said, is the 11th through the 25th. I think that's it. There's lots more in your bulletin that you can check out, and there's more details on the website. But at this point, let's, um, let's just turn our hearts and our eyes to the Lord. If you would stand with me as we get ready to worship, and we'll turn to the Lord in prayer before we do that. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, you are good. You are holy. You are kind, you are generous, you are merciful, and you are just. Lord, I ask, we ask, Lord, we invite your presence here. We invite your Holy Spirit, Lord, to fill this space. Lord, we come and surrender today. And we say, take all of who we are and just make us like Jesus, Lord. 
We trust you, God. We trust you with that process. We trust you with the ups and downs. We trust in your goodness, Lord, that you, that you proved on the cross, Jesus. So Father, fill our hearts with your truth and your light. Fill this room with your presence and with your praise, Lord. I pray that you would indeed inhabit the praises of your people this morning, just like your word says. And that in doing so, God, we would be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name.
Isn't it good to be overwhelmed? It's one of those words that has that negative connotation, but in our context, being overwhelmed by the goodness and the grace and the glory and the presence of God. So in Psalm 93, it says, Your reign, O Lord, is holy forever and ever. So may we never forget in this crazy world we live in who is ruling and who is reigning and that He is holy.
presence, God, we just, we literally melt at your goodness and at your glory.
sing of his goodness. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I
Two announcements uh, before we get started this morning. Uh, the first one, well, they both affect you. 
uh, will affect everyone, but the first one uh, will affect everybody who comes here on a Sunday morning. Um, for, I mean, well, since I've been here, there's been a small group of people that meet, um, there we go, that meet in the back and we, they pray for the service. Um, I don't make it in there as much as I need to, but there's always five or six people who pray and gather there. Um, but we're going to change that and we're going to make prayer more central and more um, upfront about what we do on a Sunday morning. So we're going to have this Sunday morning prayer. Um, so Sunday morning prayer is going to begin on September 25th here in the worship center. So uh, everybody is invited. Everybody can come. But to limit uh, distractions and bits of chaos, we have some guidelines and we're putting some fences around what we're going to do. Um, it's going to, prayer is going to begin at 9.15. So uh, come here, be here at 9.15 if you just want to join in prayer. And this is not going to be prayer where we're going to ask everybody to stand up and pray out loud and use King James language and all of that. It's mostly going to be silent. There will, there will be some music playing and, and, um, and, and there will be times where it's louder and expressive, but it's mostly going to be just how you want to pray. But it starts at 9.15. And we're going to close the doors to the worship center. So those double doors right there and this door right here, we're closing them at 920. Okay? So if you want to come uh, to prayer, you can't do what you do on a Sunday morning where you're running in here at 1001 and we're, it's open, okay? At 920, we're going to close the doors and we're going to limit people coming in. You're not going to be able to come in afterwards, Okay? Uh, they'll be closed, and we're going to say just if you're here early, uh, you can wait in the lobby, uh, and that will be fine. Uh, if you're used to getting here, um, no, well, nobody gets here at 920, but the doors won't open until 950, okay? So if you get here normally at 945, you will come in to the lobby, and we'll just have somebody out there asking you, can you just wait here for five minutes until prayer is done? And then we'll open the doors. And that, so if you're the type of person who gets here at 945 because you want to make sure you get your seat so you don't have to give dirty looks to the person that takes your seat, right, you're just going to have to wait with everybody else. Uh, and this is, um, so 950, um, uh, you'll, ask, ask me what, you'll be asked to wait in the lobby. This affects those uh, that have kids in faith, kids and the nursery, they will not take children before 9.50. So if you're getting here early because uh, your kids have had a rough morning and you're like, let's just get to church so we can dump them off real quick and then we'll go repent for it later, right? They will not take children before 9.50. So uh, be, they'll be down there, they'll be waiting, but they will not take children before 9.50. So um, why do we have, uh, I know some of you inside, you're like, well, this sounds dick like a dictatorship. I can't come into church? What is wrong with Pastor Charles, right? Um, the reason we're doing this is because we want the prayer time to be a, a, a time where we are reverent, where we are not distracted, where we are fully focused on God and what he wants to do 
in that moment. So e even the people that are here praying and they got here by 950, if, if you have to leave for something and you have to go out to your car, then we're going to ask you to wait out there and not come back in. Right? So this isn't um, for people who are, are late or get here. It's just that's the, that, the, the way that we uh, want to keep things reverent and keep things focused on God. Uh, kids are welcome to come, but you have to control your kids. And trust me, I know how hard that is during prayer time because I know after about five minutes, they want to flop, right? Oh, that's my kid's favorite word. Oh, right? I know they're going to want to do that. And, but they're invited um, to come and to be with you, right? You, you will have, you will, they will be with you, beside you. If you come to the altar, they have to come to the altar with you. If you're staying in your seat, you have to stay in your seat with you. But they are invited to come and see exactly how important and how focused prayer can be. Um, and so just to recap, church starts at 9.15 and our corporate gathering starts at 10. That, that's how I'm looking at this. That, that what the church does actually starts at 9.15, and you don't have to come. It's not required. Um, some Sundays you might want to make it. Some Sundays you might not want to make it. Uh, maybe you're just going to show up at 10 uh, for the rest because you do your own thing at home. Whatever it is, this is how I'm viewing it. Church starts at 9.15, and then our corporate gathering starts at 10. So that's going to start September 28th. So if you have any questions about this or want to know more about this, just email me, charles at faithchurchstatesville.org. Um, and ask away, and I'll be happy to, to talk about uh, this with you. But September 28th, Sunday prayer, starting here, 9.15. Okay, awesome. Uh, my second announcement, this doesn't count towards my message time. So those of you who have, like, got your watch and looking at it, this doesn't count yet, okay? You can start your clocks later. Uh, next, next week, we're going to start a new series. Um, we're going to start a series on authority. What is Christian authority? How do we walk like Jesus walked? And so we're going to kick off next week. We're going to start, um, we're going to do a recap of the identity series that I did uh, at the beginning of the year. We're going to do a quick recap of that and say, okay, what does it look like to walk in God-given, Jesus-delegated, Holy Spirit-empowered authority to walk like Jesus walked? And I had somebody uh, call me up a couple weeks ago, and he said, Pastor, um, what verses are you preaching on this week? And I told him, and he said, I would love to know what, what verses you're preaching on ahead of time so I can read them during the week so when I come on Sunday morning, it's not the first time that I hear it. And I said, I used to do that. I've done that a few times. That's a great idea. And... Um, and so I wrote the, the main verses that I'm going to be going through, and I put them on the connect wall under the coming up heading, and you can just grab one of those. Um, let me tell you two things about that. Right now, I have this as a four-week series. It's probably going to be five, but I don't know what the fifth week is going to be yet, okay? I just feel like there's a fifth week there, but I don't know what it is, okay? Secondly, I just put full chapters on there. So the first one, um, I think I put uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. 
Uh, I'm not going to preach through those whole chapters, so you don't have to gauge whether you want to come on how long you think it's going to be, depending on how. I just want you to have the full context of the verses that I'm going to be preaching, so you're not just so we're not just cherry picking a couple verses, but we read them all in context. If you want to grab that, that's in the back. Start your timers now, okay? Because now we are jumping into our final week in holy living in troubled times as we've been going through First Peter. I was talking to, uh, to a friend of mine, and I was talking about uh, how difficult it is to sometimes preach through a book of the Bible, and especially an epistle, a letter from Paul or Peter or John. Because there are times during this series where I've left on a Sunday morning, and I've thought, man, I should have broken that down into like two or three separate messages, right? And, and so I, I, I was looking at First Peter, and I could legitimately, we could have legitimately spent like 15 weeks in First Peter. But we don't really want that, and that's not how the early church did it. They read the whole letter all at once, and that's their church service, right? So... Um, uh, so we get to the end of this. We get to the end of it. And we're going to talk about holy living and humility. We're going to do the last chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5. And at the end of epistles, whether it's Peter, whether it's John, whether it's Paul, they, they all do the same thing. I remember about a year ago, uh, my wife and I decided that for the first time, we would leave our kids at home by themselves while we went to the store. This is a big, that's a big jump, right? Like all of a sudden, we're not dragging them with us and we have to trust them to be on their own. And so on the way out the door, we tell them all the rules that we've already told them, but we've told them again that they have to follow them. So on the way out the door, it's like, keep the doors locked. Don't open them for anybody. The only person in the neighborhood you could open up for is this person, but don't even answer the door for anybody else. My phone is right there. You call mommy's phone. If you need something, don't fight. Don't argue. Just love each other while we're gone. Okay, don't let the dogs out. They can hold it till we get in. All right, you good? Okay, we're going. We're out. And then we drive the six minutes to food line. We, we race through the aisles, grabbing what we need, and we drive the six minutes back, and we hold our breath as we open the door, and the house is okay, and the kids have not murdered one another. And it's good. It is good. And so, this is kind of like the end of epistles. Peter's writing his last couple paragraphs, so he's just throwing things out. It's like, do this, do this, don't do this, watch out for this, right now, okay, peace out, I'm gone. That's how all these letters end. Go read, go read the endings of all these. They're all just, and so I was looking at this, and I was like, I could have preached four weeks just on 1 Peter chapter 5. Because he says, he says things like, humble yourselves. Oh, there's a full week of messages. He says, hey, cast all your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. Oh, there's a whole week of a message. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Oh, that's like, I could do five weeks on that, no problem. But this is what Peter's doing. And so we're just going to kind of go through these and look at how humility is tied into all of them. Okay, so read with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon is likewise chosen, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm not going to even go over those last verses, but I want to keep these up just so we can go through them real quick so you know how it ends. Sylvanus may have helped Mark write the letter, but he, at the, the least, he's delivering the letter. Um, he's telling the people, trust what Sylvanus has given you. It's the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon sounds cryptic, right? It's not. It just means the church at Rome, right? Babylon, throughout the Bible, outside of of the nation of Babylon, Babylon was the, the, the highest nation governmental force against the kingdom of God. And so Peter's just saying, hey, the church at Rome, uh, they, they send you greetings. And so does Mark. Mark is probably the author of the gospel of Mark because it's, uh, it was established in the early church. They found a, a scroll of papyrus that in 140 AD, so about 100 years after Jesus, that said that Peter was the source for Mark's gospel. That Peter is the one who sat Mark down and told him all the stories about Jesus. And so Mark wrote his book. So that's probably who he's talking about. And greet one another with a kiss of love. It's kind of fallen out of favor in the modern church, you know, but, you know, do what you do. Um, <laughs> consensually. Um, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And just be happy that I'm not one of those pastors that says, turn to your neighbor and now greet them with a kiss of love. Um, Peter starts off his last things that he wants to do and he talks about elders. And when he's talking about elders, he's telling elders, live and serve this way. Do not live and serve this way. Do this. Don't do that. Walk in the way that God has called like this. Do not walk in the way that God has not called like this. And he gives them basically three things. He tells them, serve willingly, not because you have to. So uh, when, we, when we talk about the elders of the church, we have four elders here. It's myself, Pastor Tim, Andy, and Alan who are in the sound booth. 
Um, so if you don't know who they are, you can awkwardly look at them right now. Why doesn't everybody turn around and look at them awkwardly? So the people who don't know them uh, don't feel uh, like they're doing something wrong. Okay. But they say serve willingly, not because they have to. In the Old Testament especially, when somebody served because they had to, when somebody led because they had to, it was always a struggle. Right? Saul led because the nation wanted a king, and so he had to lead it. It was a disaster. This happens throughout. So he's telling elders, serve willingly, not because you have to. He says, don't seek shameful gain, but eagerly serve. There's a video that went viral a couple weeks ago in the Christian sphere on the internet. There was a pastor, and his name's Carlton Funderburg, and he pastors a, uh, a church in Kansas City. And, and he got up, and I don't, I'm pretty sure, he was either, he was talking about one or two verses. There's a verse at the end of Thessalonians, again, it's, it's Paul just telling everything, um, where he says, honor those who serve among you, especially those who preach and teach. And then in Timothy, he says, give double honor, a double portion to those who labor among you in preaching and teaching. Do not muzzle the ox, let it go out and feed, right? So he's probably teaching on one of those verses, right? I'm going to do a six-week series on those coming up. No. Um, but he stood up and I quote, he said to his people, the people he's supposed to shepherd, he says, this is how I know, and he's getting really into it, this is how I know that you're broke, you're poor, you're uh, busted, and you're disgusted because you don't honor me like this. Oh, oh boy. And then he goes, am I not worth your McDonald's? Am I not worth your Starbucks? Am I not worth your Gucci bag? And I'm sitting there, and I, if it was satire, I would have laughed. But part of me, my stomach's like, oh, no. It's like one of those places where it gets really awkward, and you just want to change the channel, but you can't, right? And he says, I'm done with you, my cheap sons and daughters. And this is how, this is how he knew that they didn't honor him. He said, because last year, I asked you for a Movado watch, and it's August, and you haven't given me anything yet. <laughs> I'm like, is this a joke? And there's people um, standing up going like, yeah, yeah, and there's other people in the back, and you can hear them yelling, like rebuking. And he says, you can buy these at Sam's Club. I just asked for it, and it's not here yet. I'm done with all of you. And I just sat there, and I was like, oh, boy. Well, this is weird. And, it, it, and then he had to come out and make one of his fake apology videos, right? I just want to point out, I asked you, I've told you guys that I like Teslas for like two years now, and I'm still driving my Hyundai Sonata, and... <laughs> yeah. Right? And so this, that is pastoring for shameful gain. Like asking your congregation for a, a watch that's worth thousands of dollars, that's shameful game. Peter says, that, that's not how we live, that's not how we serve, that's not how we lead. We do it eagerly. We do it because that's what God has put the fire in our bellies for. We serve. And he tells them, don't be domineering. 
but be examples of godliness. This is why, this is why he's writing to a, a corporate uh, body about a corporate group of leaders. Because if there's just one leader who has absolute power, they will become domineering pretty much every time. And you can look around uh, churches that have that, and the pastor becomes domineering. And so he says, this is how elders willingly serve. This is how elders do not seek shameful gain. They're doing it eagerly. They're examples of godliness. And then he turns to the young people and he says, okay, so now, because all of that is true, young people be subject to your elders. Here's the thing. I'm not, and, and I mean no disrespect to anybody who is over 70 years old. But I'm not going to go up to somebody who's 70 years old and be like, hey, can you tell me how to download this app on my phone and get me to log in and help me out? Can you do that for me? I'm not. I'm just not. But (laughs) thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) But if somebody's been married 50 years and and I want some marriage advice, maybe that's the person I should go ask and not the person who's only been married a couple more years than me. I mean, can you imagine that? I've been married 15 years. I've been married 15 years. I can imagine myself just going up to somebody, 50 years? How? I have 35 more years to reach that place. And my wife's saying the same thing, like 35 more. Like 35 more years to get where you did. How in the Lord's name did you ever do it? Man, they're going to give me much better advice than somebody who's only been married 17 years. Because I can see myself two years down the road still being married, right? And, and 50 and 50, but two is a lot easier than 35 more years down the road. So he's saying young people be subject to elders, but then uh, to not make it domineering, to not make it uh, a, a lording over of somebody, he says this. He says, clothe, clothe yourselves, all of you, Every one of you, elder, non-elder, young, old, man, woman, everybody, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, that, that line that he quotes right there, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's one of the central messages of the Bible. It's one of the central messages. Like if you want to build your own kingdom, you can. It just won't fit in God's kingdom. You want to do your own thing? Go ahead. God says, go for it. But he resists you. He puts you. Mary, when she sings her song, Right when, when she's told about who Jesus is, when, he, when it's confirmed to her who Jesus is in her belly, she sings out and she says, he brings down the mighty from their thrones and he exalts those who are lowly in spirit. This is a message throughout the Bible. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There is power in humility, and we'll get to that in just a second. So he says, so humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time, he will exalt you. This this verse also encapsulates a lot of what's being taught in 1 Peter. He says, 
He says to him, he says, endure the difficult thing now. Be willing to do the hard thing now. Go through the suffering now. Go through the hardship. Go through the trials now. And at some point in the future, you will be justified in it. You will be redeemed. You will be all of it. And here he says, he will exalt you. So when we're going through the suffering, the trial, the hard time, we know it's not in vain. We know that there's another side that's coming. We, know, we can't see it, and so we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We don't see where that is. We don't see. Sometimes we can't even conceive how it will end. We can't even conceive how God could redeem it. And he's saying, keep going. Stay humble. Stay pursuing. And when the time is right, I am going to lift you up. I will take your feet out of the miry clay. You keep coming after me. And humility is not this thing where we just talk down about ourselves. I'm worthless. I'm not any good. I can't do this. I can't do that. That's not humility. C.S. Lewis is credited with saying this, but he never says it. Um, somebody wrote it in a book that he said it, and then it was a very popular book, so everybody kind of ran with it. But C.S. Lewis says something like this in one of his books. He says this. He says, humility is not thinking of less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So humility is walking into a situation every day, good, bad, tension, no tension, just whatever you're doing, humility is going into that situation and saying, okay, God, what do you want to do right now in this moment? I'm not going to walk in and presume that I know what you want, but I'm going to humble myself and ask you right now for your direction. And then it's looking around at other people and saying, okay, God, how right now do I put others' needs above my own needs? How right now do I love my wife in ways that I don't want to because I'm mad, angry, frustrated? It is walking into every situation and saying, I am third in line in this situation. God is first in line, and then others are in front of me, and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this so I can love God and love my neighbors. That's what humility is. And there's power in this humility. Right here. So this verse that I put on the screen, it's not the end of a sentence. There's a comma. That means it keeps going. And he tells them, he says that it frees us of anxiety. When the verse keeps going, it says, cast all your cares and anxieties. Cares is the way I memorized it. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Saying if you humble yourselves, if you go after him, he will exalt you. But while you're in this place, while you're in this place where you're, being, where you're under the mighty hand of God, you're having to be humbled, take all the things that you're caring about, that you're worrying about, that you're frustrated about, and give them all to him. Because he cares for you. He doesn't have to take them begrudgingly. He doesn't say, ugh, you again? I thought we'd already been over this. He cares. He absolutely cares what you're going through. He absolutely sees, he cares, he knows, he wants to redeem and establish who you are. And so when we come to him and we say, Jesus, can you just 
can you just take this? The answer is always yes. It's always yes. Sometimes it's yes. Do you really want to let it go? Because we'll say we want to let it go, but then we just keep holding on to it. But if we're asking sincerely and we're coming with our hands wide open, we say, you can take this. The answer is always yes. Every care, every anxiety, everything. How has this worked out in humility? Because by and large, anxiety comes when we feel a loss of control. When we can't control something, we start to feel anxious, and that anxiety, it can manifest itself in different ways. I don't know if this is true for all the men in here, but for me, and I know a lot of other men, it manifests itself in anger. I lose control of a situation, so if I just yell enough, maybe I can gain back control. If I just, if I just get mad enough, then maybe the other person will just be quiet and do what I say. For some other people, it manifests itself in fear, right? Where, where, where we, we can't, we're so anxious about something that we're, we get so afraid to do anything, and we live a life that cripples and paralyzes us because fear has overwhelmed us. It could manifest itself in just withdrawing. For those who anxiety manifests in withdrawal, COVID was like crack. Because right? all you would do is watch the news and get really, really anxious and anxious. And then you didn't have to go anywhere. You had an excuse. And so you could withdraw in. And all of a sudden it's like, I am good here. Right? That's not what God calls us to. He doesn't want us to live withdrawn, fearful, angry lives. He's called us to more. And so, and so what we have to know is that, that sometimes it's just us, but we can have a spirit of anxiety. And that spirit of anxiety, the goal is to not get you walking on the path that God wants you to walk. If he can keep me angry, I'm not going to walk the way Jesus walked. If he can keep me fearful, withdrawn, anxiety-ridden, all of these different things, these emotions that we feel because of anxiety, if he can keep me in that place, if the enemy can keep me in that place, then he's won the battle. He ultimately loses the war. The war is done. It's gone. Jesus won it on the cross for all who would believe in him. The war is over, but we still fight battles, and he's won that battle. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the enemy winning any battles. So he says, well, put everything, give everything to Jesus. And he recognized that there's the spiritual battle. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Right? So uh, if, if, we're, um, if we're looking at what Peter is saying here, he's saying, you have to keep your head on straight, right? There's, there's an enemy, he is real, and he's stalking you. Uh, this is about a leopard. It's not about a lion, but it's about a leopard. It's another big cat, so just bear with me. I was on, I was on a safari in Africa, and, and uh, in the Maasai Mara in Kenya, and you try to find the big five. Trying to find lions, leopards, cheetahs, hippos, and one other one that I don't remember right now. 
Um, but you try to find the big five. And so uh, when, when one of the Jeeps that you're in finds one, they radio everybody else and all the other Jeeps descend on where this is, right? And there's, I don't know how they do it because there's no roads. There's no street signs. They're not using GPS out there. They're just like, hey, come, come by the river at this bend and everybody's there. And they found a leopard and it was sitting by like this creek type thing and it was really cool. You could see it in the grass and it was awesome. And there's like four Jeeps surrounding it and everybody's watching it. And then all of a sudden you're looking and it's gone. And no one knows where it went. And then they said, oh, look behind you. And then it's just strolling casually behind us. And I thought, how? Everybody was looking at it. Like, how did that happen? That's what Satan does. He'll stalk and he'll stalk. And you won't see him coming or moving sometimes until it's too late. So he says, be watchful. and Watch out that this is coming. Now, being watchful doesn't mean being paranoid. If you are quick to repent, if you are quick to forgive, and if, you, and if you practice spiritual disciplines and live a pure life, you're already winning 90% of the battle. Right? So if you're, if you're sinning, if you're messing up, if you're falling, and you're so quick to say, God, just ah, take it from me. It's causing me anxiety. It's causing me stress. All this sin's bearing me down. Just take it from me, please. If you're quick to turn back to him, he forgives you of your sins and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. We have to forgive because forgiveness is a scheme from Satan to keep us trapped. That's 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, I believe. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and unforgiveness in Ephesians chapter uh, 3 because then it will give Satan a place in your life. So we have to be quick to forgive. The parable of the unforgiving servant is a parable of the lifting of divine protection when we don't forgive. When we practice spiritual disciplines, when we're in our word, when we're uh, in communication with God through prayer, when we're fasting, all of these things, when we live a pure life, right? We are all armored with God, by, by God, right? The, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. We already have that on as Christians. So we don't have to be paranoid, but being watchful means that we have to know that there's an enemy looking to take you down at every opportunity. So every temptation you have to sin is not just a temptation that's going to separate yourselves from God, right? Habitual sin that we continue to engage in will put cracks in our armor, so to speak. It will allow, like, if, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, Satan cannot overtake us because he who, is, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. But when we open ourselves up through sin, we open ourselves up through unforgiveness, that's when Satan can weasel his way in. And so when we go into situations, when we're, um, when we're dealing with people and we are tempted to lose it, to sin, to, uh, to, to get out of the path that God wants us to walk, we have to step back and say, okay, whew, Satan's trying to find a way in, but I have the armor of God on. So I will live right now doing what the Father wants me to do. If you do that, you're winning the battle. You're winning the battle. Is that hard? Yes. Remember, it's simple, but it's difficult. It's a simple concept. Oh, you mean I should talk to God and ask him what he wants me to do in all these situations? Yeah, sounds really simple. Really difficult to live out. 
But the more that we practice, the more that we train ourselves and our minds, the more that we walk in our spiritual disciplines, we'll see this in it. Because he tells them right after this, he says, you can resist him. He says, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Know that everybody around the world is suffering ways that you will suffer. There's nothing unique that you're going through. People have been going through it for centuries, and if we stand firm in our faith, God heals, God restores, God redeems. God does all of it for us. And this is the outcome. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The good news, the hope of the Christian is that this life extends for billions of years with Jesus. We get eternal life with him. And all the things that we're going through right now are shaping us and molding us and making us into the person that God wants us to be for eternity. Right, he's not shaping you and molding you and changing you. Um, he is not transforming you from one degree of glory to the next so that in 50 years you die and that's the end of it. He is doing that so in 10,000 years you look back and you say, I'm so glad I went through that because look at where I am now. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, here's what Paul says. He says, so don't lose hope. Your outer self is wasting away, but your inner self is re being renewed day by day. Here's, and then ah, this light, momentary affliction, it's light. It's not heavy. It's light. This light, momentary affliction is preparing you for a weight that's heavy. The light, momentary affliction is preparing you for a weight of eternal glory beyond all comprehension. You know how you build, how you carry heavier weights? You work your muscles. So through suffering, through his moving, through all of these things, God is working out your muscles so when it's time for you to carry that eternal weight of glory, you put it on your back and you stand up and you say, that's not bad at all. I kind of like it. He says, therefore, we look to the things not that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They are forever. He is preparing you for something so big. This is who God is. God restores, God confirms, God strengthens, and God establishes. That's what God does. So in places where you're broken, he wants you to give all your anxiety, all your cares to him, so he can restore you. In all the places where you're feeling, where you're feeling like, like I don't know, I'm not sure, I, I, I don't know what you're doing here, God. He wants to confirm with you exactly what he's doing. In the places where you are weak, the places where you stumble, where you falter, he wants to strengthen you. He wants to build those muscles. And then he wants to establish you firm, rooted in the faith. So that you're like the man who builds his house upon a rock. And when the waves come and the winds beat against it and the rain drenches it, 
the house stands firm. It is established. You have to get out of your head this notion that God is a God who condemns, rejects, or disowns his children. He does none of that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He does not leave you. He does not forsake you. He is always there. And yes, when we stumble and we falter, he will use discipline to bring us back to him, but it's a restorative discipline. It's not a discipline because he likes it, because he wants to do it, because he's seeking it out. He sees us going, right? He, it's this picture of the sheep walking and they get off the trail. And so what has to happen? The shepherd has to take his staff and he has to knock the sheep a little bit. And some, some of the sheep, it just takes a light knock. It's like, oh, I'm back, I'm back. And then for some of us other sheep, it's like, come on. Nope, okay, come on, right? And he's getting us back on the path. But that's the picture of discipline. And it's this God. It's not the punitive God of religion. It's not the punitive God of hellfire and brimstone. It is this God who has dominion. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we're going to talk a lot about dominion in the next few weeks. But to him be all of it. Every single act of praise you have, every single act of humility you have, every single time you go to him, that's who you are worshiping. Stand firm in that fact about Jesus. Because here's, here's the reality. We're talking about eternity. There, there are people that you know who will spend eternity without the weight of glory and they will go to the fires of hell. And so when we look at a God who has dominion and we look at a God who wants to confirm, establish, restore, strengthen his children, we have to look at everybody we come across that does not know Jesus saying God wants to do those things for you. Just come to him, just lay it all down. And he's faithful. He'll forgive. This is what Peter's saying. He ends it with one, one line. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace to all of us who are in Christ. When we look at the full weight of 1 Peter... He is saying, he says the main theme, hey, suffering's gonna come. Things will not always go your way. But take heart, endure. Endure because Jesus endured suffering, because Jesus died on the cross, because his spirit, you can live that way. Right? Because Jesus did it and his spirit is in you. And when you've gone through it all, you will come out the other side and you will see the glory of God in your life. So you can let go of your fear. You can let go of your anxiety. You can let go of your anger. You can let go of your grief. You can let go of that spirit of heaviness. You can let it all go and give it to Jesus. I want us to end this, this morning 
And we're just going to take, we're going to take communion. I have Alan and Tim and Lloyd, if you'll help. Guys, just come and sit on the front row for now. I'm going to explain communion. And I know you'll feel awkward if you stand the whole time while I'm explaining it. Here at Faith, we practice, um, when we practice communion, we, we make sure to, to, tell, to tell you that this is, this is for people who have put their faith in Christ, who have believed in him for the forgiveness of their sins, who love and follow Jesus. That's who this is for. If you have not made that commitment yet, <laughs> no better time to do it than this morning. None. I had a friend. I had a friend who, uh, he was in our, our small group for a very long time, and he was coming, and he was weighing Christianity. He was way figuring it out. And one time at church, we passed the communion plate. He took the communion, and his wife looked at him, and she says, you know what this means, right? He's like, yeah. And that's when he accepted Christ right there. So if that's you this morning, just say, yeah, I know. Let's do it. But here's what. Here's what Paul says to it, says to it. He says, when you come together um, in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. He's telling them, don't do it this way. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? I will not. He says, you got to do communion right. It's a, it's a sacred institution of the church. And he says, so this is, this is what it is. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread. When did he receive that from the Lord? He wasn't at the Last Supper. Jesus had to tell him about it. Hey, he was, he was with Jesus for, for a while. And when he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the covenant in my new blood, uh, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are going to proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus as we drink and as we eat. It's not the actual presence of him, but there is a spiritual thing that happens as we take communion. And then he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So if you're coming, before you take it, examine yourself. Repent where you need to. Forgive where you need to. And if you can't do that yet, just let it pass you. He says, let a person examine himself, then they can eat and drink. So that's what I want you to do. Before we hand it out, I just want to do 30 seconds right now of just silence. Examine yourself. Let God in. Say, okay, pray that hard prayer. God, wherever you want me, tell me what I need to repent of. Show me who I need to forgive. Tell me ways I can walk. 30 seconds.
So why don't you men come forward and we'll pray over this and then we'll come down and hand it out for you if you're still a little wary of uh, picking up the bread from a pile of bread. We have some pre-filled cups that you can just take from in every tray. Um, Father, I pray that this time we see it as more than just simply a ritual, but we know that you are here, that your spirit works in us as we take of the body and of the blood of Jesus. So Father, let it be effectual for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.
given thanks, he broke it, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the ways that you speak. I thank you for your word that shows us who you are. For the the love that, that you pour out on us. Thank you for your body broken. Father, I thank you that, that when we come to you and we come broken and we come hurt, we ask, will you take it? You say yes. That your body was broken for our trespasses, that you were pierced for our iniquities, and the chastisement was upon you that brings us peace, and by your stripes we are healed. Father, let that be true. Take it, let's pray that you would would spur us on to give it all to you. That through Christ and Christ alone we are free. Free from the, the sin that so easily entangles us. So continue to purify us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do one more thing before we leave here. She didn't know I was going to do this so she's going to be mad at me. Uh, I'd like to have Lauren come on up, if you would, please. Don't give me that look. She was just obeying 1 Peter when it says, without a word, your husband might be won over. Uh, Your good conduct. Uh, My wife is leaving on Tuesday for two weeks in South Africa. She's going on a ministry trip with... um, a group from Crestwood Vineyard Church run by Brian Blount uh, out of Oklahoma City. We met Brian a couple years ago. He invited us to go on a trip. And Lauren said, I'm going. And I said, all right, you go. And so I want to pray for her before she goes. So we're going to come down here. And I'm going to ask my home group to come on up. So if you're part of my home group, would you come up? You have to get in the middle. <laughs> you guys can come around too. You don't have to. I'll stand in front. Michael, will you pray? And then I'll pray is when you're done. And if you all would join us in prayer, if you feel like you want to hold a hand out, you can hold a hand out um, for as long as you can. But we're just going to pray that all the good things happen and that God shows his, his goodness. So go ahead, Michael. Father, we just lift Lauren up to you. We entrust her to you. Uh, 
And we pray that you would bless her, that you would fill her with your spirit, that you would guide her steps, um, that you would speak clearly and work through her, that you would uh, protect her and be with her. Charles talked about the armor, God. I pray that uh, she would have all of your armor um, and that she would be led by your spirit and that your word would just come to her in the moment as you want it to, as you lead. Uh, and God, I pray that this would be a fruitful trip and that we would um, be blessed by hearing what you have done and be led outward from it. Um, so God, we just pray for your blessing, your protection, and your work, your power. In Jesus' name. Lord, fill, fill my wife's time with your goodness, with your glory, and with your power. Father, you say that you confirm the words of your servant with signs and wonders, blind eyes open, deaf ears hearing, the lame walking. Father, we pray it all would flow through her. She would give her the words to speak, the prayers to pray, and that your grace would be seen in Johannesburg and in Durban over the next two weeks through Lauren and through the team that's already there. Father, bless her richly with comfort and strength, endurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. I'll do a prayer circle for having to go two weeks without my wife. Just with my kids, you guys come about now. It's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. I'm glad you were here with us this week. We'll be back next week. If you get here at 945, the doors will be open so you can come on in. That change doesn't happen until the 25th. But next week, next Sunday night, I want to see you as we talk about how to hear God for other people, how we pro how what prophetic ministry means and what the prophetic is. So come and join us next week. Until then, God bless.